0: Hey guys, I want to welcome you to the Mosaic Podcast. I'm Pastor Erwin Raphael McManus, and just wanted to thank you for listening. In case you didn't know, I just released a new book. It's called The Genius of Jesus, The Man Who Changed Everything. And you can order it today at thegeniusofjesus.com. It's always a challenge to decide how to close a moment like this. I love our theme, The New, which means, really, this conversation never ends. Because you cannot have a conversation about the new and bring it to a close. There's always something new. There's always something beautiful. There's always something awaiting us. And and that's why the future is such a wonderful place to travel to. When people ask me, what's your favorite place to travel? I, I need to change my answer. Because sometimes... I'll say Tokyo, and sometimes I'll say London, and sometimes I'll say Mexico City, sometimes I'll say Istanbul. But really, my favorite place to travel to is the future. Because it's the one place that no matter how many times you go there, it's never the same each time. But I want to talk to you in these moments about another aspect of the new that I think is so critical and and I, I find myself a little torn because I, I, I think sometimes we, we undervalue a specific aspect of the human dynamic. And for some reason, whenever we enter the faith journey, this conversation almost becomes absent along the way. Because for just a few moments, I want to talk to you about the new mind. And I want to appeal to you that it's time to bring an end to the dumb It's time to allow faith to be justification for ignorance and stupidity. It's time for us to stop acting as if intelligence is not a gift from God, of God, by God, and a reflection of His image. For some reason, we've created a false dichotomy between intelligence and faith. If you're going to have faith, you cannot use your intelligence. And certainly you could not depend on it. And and of course, if you're going to be intelligent, you cannot be a person of faith. And I understand a part of why this is such a tension. Because our, our, our history captures us in superstition and mythology. Faith and religion are cousins, but they're not brothers. They're actually not of the same bloodline, but they've traveled together throughout history. And so when we bring together the conversation about faith, we bring with us also the history of religion. And sometimes we we, we miss the fact that we're connected to a larger narrative. We can't escape the fact that there was a time in human history and sometimes still in this world where people reigned because they believed there was a rain god. And if they danced and danced and danced that eventually the dancing would move the rain god and he would have mercy on us and bring rain. And anyone, I think, who has thought would say, that's a misconnection. That's superstition. But the problem was that it worked every single time. Sometimes you had to dance for an hour and sometimes for a day and sometimes for a week and sometimes you danced for a year because the rain god was in different moods at different times. And what we need to realize is a huge part of the journey of faith is interwoven with the story of religion. And it's not that easy to shake off superstition and mythology and find the essence of what is genuine in faith. And somewhere in that journey, there became a battle between superstition and intelligence. So if you were thoughtful, then you move towards science. But if you were faithful, you move toward God. The scriptures tell us this in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 16. For who has known the mind of the Lord? So ask to instruct him. Before I read the next sentence, I just want you to pause for a moment and realize that the scriptures tell us that God has a mind. God is not spirit without mind. God has a mind. And if God created you in his image and likeness, then guess what? You have a mind. Now, you may not be using your mind. You may be out of your mind. But you have a mind. And that mind is a reflection of the creator of the universe. For who has known the mind of the Lord as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Now, we've read that, I think, many of us over and over again, but the problem is that we tend to take truths and turn them into romance. We hear this and we go, oh, we have the mind of Christ, but there is no practical application to that truth. What does it mean to have the mind of Christ? And there may be so many layers of implication, and I don't think for a moment I have the intelligence to unwrap the full measure of this truth. But what I do know is this, it says God has a mind, and we have a mind. And when we live outside of God, we are limited in our mind, and we cannot comprehend the mind of God. That's what he's saying to us. That we try to understand God, but we cannot understand God. How could we ever understand God? God is all-knowing, all-powerful, all-present. God is eternal. To understand God goes beyond our capacity and comprehension. I remember years ago when I had a friend who was an engineer, and his wife was an engineer. It's an interesting marriage. And one day he said to me, I can't wait until I'm in eternity, and I know the answer to everything. And I said, get ready for disappointment. The idea that you'll know everything in eternity is absurd, because God's eternal. And God's all knowing, and God is not static. It will take eternity to just grasp a small aspect of the genius and brilliance of God. I know we don't think like this, but I want you to consider for a moment that God is brilliant, that God's a genius. That God is not intimidated by Michelangelo or Da Vinci or Einstein or Hawking's. That God created us with this capacity for genius, and he celebrates that unique human capacity. (laughs) And I think it's a great disappointment to God when we choose a low level of thinking. He says, but we have the mind of Christ, so what... I immediately ask myself, you see, tonight I want to just ask the questions I ask myself. And so if you came for answers, I'm sorry to disappoint you. I just want to raise some questions. If Jesus is God, and God is this brilliant creator of the cosmos, the God who is bigger than everything, who understands everything, where nothing is too small for him, and Jesus is God in flesh and blood and he carries the mind of God and we now have the mind of Christ. Why are we so stupid? <laughs> Why are we so willing to settle for a level of intelligence that is unchallenging, undisciplined and beneath God's expectation for us? We, we come from a moral history. So we spend most of our time talking to each other about how to be more moral. spend a little bit less, do a little more good, stay stupid. As long as you do fewer bad things, it doesn't matter if you ever access the intelligence God has given you. And we wonder why the future leaves us behind. I want to propose to you this possibility that when we create, it's an expression of the genius of God. In fact, I love how the word genius comes from the same word of genie. Because the Greeks understood that genius was something that was outside of you. They they had this imagery that a genie, that a God would pour this genius inside of you so you were the container of that genius, but God was the giver of that genius, and you were supposed to give that genius as a gift to the world. The Greeks were almost right. See, I do think genius is a form of genie. See, the genius inside of you is the gift of God to you, but not for you. Your genius is not for you. Your genius is for the world. So I've spent the full of the last 40 years trying to access the mind of Christ. If it's available, I want it. If I can have an intellectual conversation with God, I want to have it. If God is willing to dumb himself down and talk to me, I want to talk to him. Because what I know is that when I get around smart people, I get smarter. You know what every business coach says? Always make sure that you're not the smartest person in the room. Have you heard that? Always make sure you're not the smartest person in the room. Well, I want to just like up that just a little bit. Always make sure you're not the smartest one in your brain. Always make sure you're not the smartest one in your soul. Always make sure you're not the smartest one in your inner conversation. Because when you enter into a relationship with the creator of the universe, you are now forever allowed into a conversation with a genius. And when you're in the room with a genius, guess what's going to happen to you? He's going to elevate your thinking. And one day, maybe just one day, you will have the mind of Christ. I have some sense of how this plays out and what this looks like in real life, but I want to go first to imagine what it might have looked like at some time. In Genesis chapter 2, you know this passage, many of you, verses 19 and 20. It says, Now the Lord, the Lord God formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds of the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature... That was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. And the verse line says, but for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So before Eve was created out of the rib of man, God gave Adam a job, and he says that he brought in front of him all the creatures that have ever lived. And then God had Adam name them which tells you something about God. See, God is not a micromanager. See, God did not bring all the animals in creation to Adam and say, I want you to know, this is a giraffe. This is a gazelle. And, and, and it wasn't like Adam going, could I name one? No. <laughs> well, could, could, could I name this one? When you create one, you can name one. See, that <laughs> That would have been an easy for God. But he didn't. God actually found pleasure in the creative challenge he was giving Adam because he knew that Adam had the creative capacity for that creative challenge. So he brought all the animals on. If I start naming animals, I'm going to forget what I named them. And then on top of that, I might start repeating myself. And then I may just finally like run out of names and choosing multiple syllables like uh, hippopotamus. He didn't even have an, a laptop. <laughs> my iPhone has made me dumber. Do you realize, I, I was realizing this as I was coming out, that I don't even know my wife's telephone number. If I had to, if I was transported to a different time or space, and there were only phone booths, and I had to dial Kim's number, she would never hear from me again. <laughs> the three people that are closest to me, Kim, Mariah and Aaron. I do not know Mariah's number. I do not know Aaron's number. If I lose my iPhone, I lose my mind. But Adam named every single animal and remembered what he named every single animal and never ran out, ran out of creative capacity to keep naming animals. like, bring me another one. <laughs> I got another name. This is the capacity of humans before the fall. And it makes my mind real. See, I want back what they lost. And that's just a starting point for me. I want back what they lost. And then I want to elevate from there. I want to have the kind of mind that has no limitation for my capacity to remember and to create. And, 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 and then there's another place where God says to the man, and you are to have authority and rule. Or the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and the animals that walk on the ground. And in fact, in my last book, I, I proposed this possibility, and they, they edited it out. <laughs> because, you know, Christians are not allowed to imagine. We could get us, ourselves in trouble if we start thinking outside of the boundaries of what we've already been told. So I, I said, look, God gave humanity responsibility and authority over The birds in the sky and the fish in the sea and the animals that walk in the ground. But somehow, we only have the physical capacity to have rule over the animals that walk in the ground. We can't supervise what's happening in the ocean because we cannot breathe underwater. We can't supervise the birds flying in the air because we're landlocked. We're grounded. They could be uh, crows up there mocking us. You can't tell me what to do. (laughs) So I propose that maybe, just maybe, before the fall... We did not have this limited capacity. Maybe that's where we get our mythology of Atlantis because there was a time where we were not bound just to the Earth, but we could rule underneath the sea. And maybe it's where we get our mythology of Superman and all these dreams that we can fly that everyone has when they're 10. And because once we had authority, we could fly in the sky. Now, I know that's absurd. I know it's crazy, but you know what I also know? It's possible. I think we need to stop being afraid of dreaming and imagining and going outside the boundaries of our, of our own beliefs and start asking big questions and going back even to the Scriptures and saying, God, I want to think at a higher level. I want to see what you see. I want to have thoughts that, that are worthy of someone created in the image of God. Because somewhere along the way, we lost our minds. In Romans 12, verse 2, it says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, perfect, and pleasing will. So he gives us a contrast. He says, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So somehow our minds are not what they should be. And, and the, the process to moving toward the mind of Christ is a process of constant renewal. Be transformed by the renewing of our minds. I was trying to remember how many years ago it was. Maybe it was eight, nine years ago. We were in New York as a family, and we were up in Eastchester and visiting some friends in the past. And, and, and Aaron and I had to leave early, so we took a taxi from this house to the um, train station in Eastchester, and when I got to the train station, I realized I forgot my wallet. But Aaron, it was this moment, and he said, don't worry, Dad, I got my wallet. I said, you sure? And he goes, yeah, I'll, I'll pay for it. You can get your wallet tomorrow. It's still at the house, and we checked, and it was there, and Kim didn't offer to bring it. So, so we had to think of plan B, and, and so we got on the, the, the train, and Aaron paid for it, He's you know, leading the way, and, and then we got to the train station and central station, then we got out, and we got a cab, and, we got a, and, and but then we realized that Aaron didn't have his wallet anymore. He had left it, I think, on the train. And it was midnight in Manhattan, and it would be about, oh, a little more than an hour walk to where we were going. And now I didn't have my wallet, and he didn't have his wallet. And in fact, we left it in the taxi that took us where we were, and we left it in there, I think it was, and he left too fast. And now we're stuck. And it's the middle of the night, and Aaron's like, oh, I'm so mad. So mad, I cannot believe I left my wallet in that, in that car. I had one job, one job, they had to get us to the hotel. And he was just so mad at himself. You ever just been so mad at yourself you couldn't think? He was so upset. I said, well, let's just start walking. So he started walking through New York, and, and, it, and it took a long time. And I said, okay, buddy how are we going to solve this? He goes, well, how can we solve it? We don't, have any, we don't have any money. We don't have credit cards. We don't have anything. And I said, yeah, but we have friends. We, we, let's make calls. And, and I said, how would you solve it? I said, well, what could we do? Because if you're trapped in the middle of a city and you don't have anything, how would you solve the problem? If I were not with you, what would you do? He goes, I don't know. I'm just so mad. And I said, okay, here's the problem. You're really mad. And, and so what's happening, and so I use kind of an old-school brain kind of paradigm, and I said, so you're activating your reptilian brain. Like the part of you that's a lizard is taking over because all you know how to do right now is be angry and mad, And it moves you to your lowest level of thinking. And right now what I need from you is I need your creative imagination. I need you to think about possibilities that you can't see. I want you to see solutions that are invisible to you right now. But right now you can't see them because you're in your lizard brain, your reptilian brain. And I need you to get into your higher consciousness to see all the possibilities. And he looked at and he goes, is there really such a thing as a reptilian brain? (laughs) Or are you just making it up? I said, no, you know, this is like a real theory. And he goes, I need you to be honest with me because, like, I'm going to repeat this and then I'm going to look like an idiot if it's not real. And <laughs> I said, no, it's a real theory. But more than that, there's actually a reality. I remember years ago, I was at TED and the speaker started talking about how fear has driven all of humanity's innovation. Now, I've been to so many TEDs and listened to so many speakers. Remember, as I'm listening to them, I'm thinking to myself, wow, that's completely wrong. See, just from my own personal experience, I know that when I'm driven by fear, I'm least creative. When I'm driven by fear, I'm paralyzed. When I'm driven by fear, I'm looking for a place to retreat and hide. I'm not looking to innovate and create. I'm not looking to press the boundaries when I'm afraid. I'm looking for a way to get myself in the room, lock the door, and hide. I think a lot of us are operating in whatever framework you want to use with your reptilian brain. Or if I could just put it in just more like everyday language, you are functioning from your stupid brain. Not your spirit brain. Not your God-given Genius. So God says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but transform by the renewing of your minds. So I, I just thought of a few places where, where we're conformed to a pattern rather than transformed and renewed to the new. When we deal with resources, you can, you can see it. A person who's conformed to the patterns of the world sees life with scarcity. There's just not enough for everyone. So I gotta take, I gotta take, I gotta take, I gotta hold on to what I have because there's not enough. And you can see it every day. There are people who operate from the scarcity mentality, and so they consume and they do not create because they do not believe there's more. But when you move into the mind of Christ, you move from scarcity to abundance. You believe that that life is filled with abundant possibilities, abundant opportunities, that there's always enough, not only for you, but for everyone else. And so you become generous because you don't have to hold on to things because there's always more. One of the the great challenges I have in my life is is IP. For, For 40 years, people have been stealing my intellectual property. And I've had people come to me and say, Does it bother you when someone steals an idea? I said, No, it actually makes me sad for them. Because if you have an endless number of ideas, you don't need to steal an idea. When you steal an idea, it's because you have a scarcity mentality. You don't believe that God can give you an idea that's worth living for. You're not an elephant giving birth to one baby painfully, you need to be more like a turtle. To having lots of babies, don't worry about them. Just cover a little sand and go. Because if you have an endless amount of ideas, God's gonna give birth to one of those and that's gonna become your future. And if you have an endless amount of ideas, you can give ideas away. I had this man come to me and he said, I have this idea. I think it's gonna change the world. He said, that's awesome. He goes, and I-, I-, I wanna share it with you and get your thoughts. I said, happy to. He goes, except you can't tell anyone. I said okay, and he goes, and you can't ever act on it. I said, no. Because why? Why would no? Because I might already have that idea, so if I act on it, you'll think I stole it. And secondly, you care more about you than you care about the idea. See, because if you have a great idea and the world needs it and it will change the world, you want to get that idea out there because if it's not you, somebody should do it. You should live your life for something that is so important. If it's not you, it should be someone. We have a shift in resources from scarcity to abundance, from our relation to the future. Everyone, everyone has a spiritual relationship to the future, even if they're an atheist. And one of the beautiful things about it is that you can see it almost from the negative better from the positive. Because every human being struggles with fear. And fear is a negative projection of the future. You're really not afraid of what's happening right now. You're afraid of what might happen right now. And what's interesting to me is that it's easier to activate the dark side of faith, which is fear. And so your relationship to the future may be a conflict. You need to move from fear to hope. And that's what faith actually does. It shifts your relationship to the future. And that's what a higher level of thinking is. And that's why you can be in a room with one person, and they say, we don't have enough. And, and the other person says, we have so much. many? do you remember when we started our organization in Dallas, and I called it Global Impact? We're in a borrowed house in the living room with one of those old, old computers that barely worked. And Kim saw me starting my company, Global Impact. She goes, Global Impact? We're in a borrowed house. You're in a living room with a used computer. Global impact. I said, it sounds better than local influence. And and in that first meeting, I met with all these leaders, and I told them everything we were going to do. And one of them said, how much money do you have? I said, none. So I have an unlimited budget. (laughs) See, if you engage the, the future with your higher mind, then you always face the future with hope. But when it's your lower mind, it's just with fear. There's a lower and higher mind in relationships. The lower mind is me, the higher mind is us. When you live your life and you think every relationship is supposed to be about you, when people say, I can't find any friends, what you actually mean is you can't find anyone who will be completely about you. Because you can always find someone who needs you. You may not be able to find someone who wants to meet all your needs. And that's the difference. See, if you spend your life being a friend, you will always have friends. But your lower thinking is relationships are about me, and higher thinking is the relationship is about us. We have a lower mind about life, whether it's entitlement, and the higher mind is entrustment. See, when we have a lower mind, our life is about entitlement. I deserve this. I deserve this. Someone needs to make this right. Do you live your life constantly offended? That's your lower mind. That's the pattern you're conforming to, because it's easy to live an entitled life. But if you want to raise your thinking, you have to begin to think of entrustment. I don't deserve anything, everything has been entrusted to me, and I have a stewardship to do something with it. Just a couple of more, lower mind in relationship to failure and higher-mind. Lower-mind sees failure and they blame. And the higher-mind sees failure and you take ownership. You can hear it in a person's language. When you have a lower mind, it's always someone else's fault. Some of you have just got to let it go. We've been blaming our parents all of our lives for things they did because they're humans and you were not a great child. (laughs) They had issues and you provoked them. but you can spend your whole life blaming the past for your present. Let me tell you, I don't know what your past is, and I don't know who caused a lot of the pain and damage of your past, but I know exactly who's responsible for your present, and I know exactly who can change your future. And you have to take ownership rather than move constantly in blame. Come on, we can give that up for that. And just one other lower mind, higher mind about God. A lower mind is always trying to test God. And a higher mind trusts God. If you spend your whole life saying, God, if you do this, I'll do this. Or God, if you'll do this, I'll believe in you. Or God, if you show up, you're you're talking to God as if he's a lizard. But God is a higher level thinker. God is a God of relationship and he's trying to elevate your thinking so that you can have a conversation with him that will actually change who you are. This is one little verse that I love in Luke 24, 45. Just listen to this. This is after Jesus was crucified, after he was buried, after he was raised from the dead. Now he's walking down this road of Emmaus. They don't recognize him. I'm not really sure you know, how, how that worked out. In fact, this is the one time I know Jesus took on an acting role because it says that when Jesus was walking with them and they got close to what is it Jerusalem, he acted like he's gonna keep on going, but he wasn't. And they said, oh, would you stay with us? He goes, okay, I'll stay. And then it says this. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. This is the one thing that has confounded me for the last 40 years. So I know how I started. I, I, I know what it feels like to be a straight D student from first to 12th grade. I know what it's like to be sent to a psychiatrist because you look like you're damaged. I, I know what it's like to wonder because people told you you were retarded. I, I know what it's like to be put in my own portable because when I passed the test, they were sure I cheated. I know what it's like to feel as if somehow you were given the wrong hand in life. Now, a lot of people, they have such aspirations. Some people want to be the fastest people in the world. Some want to jump higher than others. Some people want to be the strongest person in the world. And, and, but I had one overwhelming fear growing up. I thought, there are people who can have thoughts I cannot have. And it would just pain me. I, I would be agonized by the fact that my mind was so small that I could never access the thoughts of the brilliant minds of the world. I felt as if I was blind and I could not see the beautiful. And when I read this, I can tell you, this is my life experience. I feel as if when I came to Jesus, my mind was so small. I was trapped in a closet and I, I, I had limited intelligence, it seemed, and capacity and imagination. But somewhere in, along the way, I came into this encounter with Jesus and as if he opened my mind. As he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures, because he, he, he loves when we understand math, and he loves when we understand science, and God loves when we understand botany. God loves when we understand the complexity of the ecosystem. I'm convinced God loves every form of understanding and intelligence and learning. But what God loves most is when we finally understand who we are and who he is and how we're supposed to live in relationship with him. when that particular speaker advocated that fear was the driving force of innovation, I became so convinced that not only was he wrong, but the answer was actually clear. It's love. Love is the driving fuel of innovation. It's love that is the highest mind. Empathy is the highest form of intelligence. I love what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 13. If we are out of our mind, as some say, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. Maybe that's my life verse. See, when me and God are talking, you would not feel comfortable there. I am out of my mind. It's as if God just takes me to places I've never been. He erases every boundary. He presses my imagination. He allows me to explore places without fear of rejection or condemnation. I love that God is the God who created the human imagination and invites us to explore endless impossibilities and make them our lives. And the church has been way too focused on making sure everyone's right. Early on in some of uh, my research, I I saw this study that said that 95% of humans are born with divergent thinking. That means 95% of humans, from the moment of their birth, from the moment they begin to engage the outer world have this capacity to be divergent in their thinking to think uniquely to think beautifully to think in a complex and creative way that there's a natural genius inside of every human being and and the same study found that by the age of 12 only five percent of humans still had the capacity to think in divergent ways so you've been raised and told color inside the lines and we didn't know we should go why Why should I color inside? I'm going to color outside of the lines. I'm going to color through the lines. I'm going to create my own lines. We need to stop giving children structures where they learn to conform within them and give them blank pages and say, you were created to create. Some of you just need to lose your mind a little bit. Start seeing a future that's impossible. You need to lose your mind, start believing in a you that no one else can see. You need to go a little bit out of your mind and stop settling for safety and comfort and security. It's time to eliminate mediocrity from our culture. Why is it that we hope we get spiritual gifts, but we never hope we become intelligent. Maybe that's why we use them so foolishly. Why is it that we think belief abdicates us from thought? If Jesus is who he says he is, and I am convinced he is, then he's not afraid of anything you might discover along the way. There's no arena you cannot explore, no thought you cannot consider, no line you cannot cross in terms of imagination and creativity. You need to learn to explore to be a pioneer, to think at a higher level. And what I think is fascinating in the scriptures, he says, if we're in our right mind, it's for you. Paul says, look, I dream and imagine, and I, you, you don't even want to know the full measure of all my thoughts. So if I'm in my right mind, it's just for you so that you don't think I'm crazy, but I am out of my mind. I, 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 I want us to not just be known around the world for the creativity that has become so so much a part of who Mosaic is. I want us to bring the integration of not only creativity and spirituality, but of intelligence and creativity and spirituality. I want to press in and and demand of each other a higher level of thought to ask the hard questions, to deal with doubts, to not be afraid of the dangerous journey of knowing and the unknowing. Because when Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life, he's not telling you you're going to get a dogma you can hold on to. You get a person you can walk with. When um, When Aaron was probably 12 years old, We were driving in the car and uh, he said, Dad, uh, I don't know if I'd be a Christian if I wasn't raised in a Christian home. And I said, oh, wow, Um, why, bud? And uh, I was a little nervous, you know, and and he goes, I just have so many doubts and questions. I paused and I said, oh, doubts and questions, those are good, I have doubts and questions. He looked at me so surprised. And then we drove, and it was quiet. And then I said, well, um, so what do, you, what do you think you're going to do? He thought about it. I could see his mind just reeling. And he said, well, I've already met God, so I don't know what I can do. <laughs> you know what, what I, I, I love about Mariah is her constant inquisitive mind. She's always pressing and asking. She's always always violating the previous held belief and just and, and always struggling to make faith her own. And I, and I look at them and I think to myself, where along the way did I ever think Jesus wanted me to be dumber, to think less, to be less imaginative, to be less creative, to be less courageous? So as we talk about the new, what I wanna advocate as we live is your new mind. That God created you, not just with gifts and talents. God created you not just with passion and desires, not just with dreams and intention. That God created you with intelligence. And your intelligence is not an accident. You have the capacity to see clearly and press into the real. And you have the capacity to see beyond reality to the impossibilities that one day you will make a reality. That is the nature of God in you. So I want to live in this possibility. I'm not finished yet. I'm not done growing. I have this really cool electric car. I won't say the brand, because a lot of people with small minds would have a hard time. (laughs) But one of the things that happens with my car is I'm driving, and it says, new update. And then it says, what time do you want to download it? I'm like, now. (laughs) So now it goes faster. Now my car can drive itself. Now my car can cook dinner now (laughs) There's nothing my car can't do and and every time it downloads something it feels like magic There's nobody there it just boom my car became smarter but there's someone somewhere else working on the technology and then when it works out sends it out into space And then it comes into my car like a genie. You are created to be connected to the creator. You have access to the genius of God. So why in the world would you live with the downgrade? What God is saying, renew your minds, press the button and receive the upgrade. Let's raise a generation of the brightest minds in the world. Let's ask the hard questions. Don't ever be thrown off by someone's hard question about God or faith or scripture. You should have asked that question. If you haven't asked that question, you have not thought deeply enough. Don't accept the faith that you've just borrowed from someone else's orthodoxy. Dive deep into the scriptures and let Jesus open your mind to hear what only God can speak. I am done ever pretending that our faith is just about a belief system. We are created in the image of God. We don't even know what our superpowers are. We don't know what we lost, but let me tell you, whatever we lost, what we're gonna gain surpasses it all. But I don't wanna wait till I die. I wanna press download now. I want to see the world the way Jesus sees the world. And if you'll begin to see the world through love, you will live in the highest mind. When you choose bitterness, envy, greed, you're just living at the lowest level of thinking. When you choose compassion and generosity and kindness, that's when you're discovering your genius. We live in a world that chooses violence because it's our lowest mind that's informing us. We have a world that chooses injustice we have a world that chooses to leave people trapped in poverty because we are living at our lowest level of thinking we have the capacity on this planet to solve every major human crisis if we wanted to we created the problem we can actually create the solution so let's elevate our thinking and take on the new mind of christ in us let's Come on, let's just celebrate. Thank you so much for joining us on the Mosaic Podcast. I want to encourage you to take the message you just received and allow it to go deeply into your soul. Let Jesus do the deep work that only he can do. A special thank you to everyone who gives to Mosaic. Your sacrifice makes this podcast possible and creates life change all over the world. You can be a part of spreading this message around the world by going to mosaic.org slash give. You can also subscribe, rate, and share this podcast with your friends and family. Thanks again for listening. God bless you.